The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. I'm Bill Donahue. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the 18th day of April 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is across the way, and we have got a great show lined up for you tonight. As always, up first, we'll talk to the great Dave Parker about his new book, Cobra. A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. Following the Cobra, we'll talk to author Devin Gordon about his new book, So Many Ways to Lose, and that can only be about one team, and that's the New York Mets. Finally, we'll welcome in the EVP of the New York Riptide, Rich Lisk. He'll talk to us about the exciting new partnership that the Riptide have with with uh, West, West Hampton Beach Brewery and the Boomer Esiason Foundation. So just sit back and relax and get comfortable tonight. Enjoy Sports Talk New York. Uh, we got some great people, some great stories up ahead. As always, before we begin, I invite you to follow us on our Facebook page. It's out there, and uh, you'll find so much information that you'll enjoy. Please check it out. Also, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter at B. Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because all past shows can be heard on our website, and they can all be found out there, and you can enjoy them another time. Well, our first guest played in uh, the major leagues as a right fielder from 73 to 91. He was a seven-time All-Star he won two National League batting titles and was the 1978 National League MVP. Member of two World Championship winning teams with the Pirates in 79 and with the Oakland A's in 89. He has a new book out called Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight Dave Parker. Dave, good evening. Good evening. How you doing? Oh, we're doing wonderful here. How you feeling, Dave? I feel pretty good. 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 It's good to hear that, and uh, glad everything's going well. Now, you grew up in Cincinnati near Crosby Field, and uh, you learned to play baseball in the parking lot at Crosley Field. Yeah, we used to play against the Crosley Field wall. We used to play stickball. Nice. Okay. And uh, just a stone's throw from actual Crosley Field, right? I didn't hear you. That's just a stone's throw out in the parking lot from Old Crosley Field. Yeah, we used to hustle out there. We used to open cab doors, and <laughs> I opened doors for the Rifleman, Chuck Connors, Mickey Rooney. Wow. So, uh, it was a big part of our life. We uh, spent a lot of time at Crosby Field. Nice, nice. Okay. Now, when you were a kid, who were your sports heroes? I guess you were a Reds fan. So who were your sports heroes back when you were a kid? Well, Stargell was one of the guys that hit a ball all the way over eight lanes of highway into the community. <laughs> Him and McCubby is the only two guys I've seen do that. So Frank was my 
Nice. My idol. And Beta Pinson was uh, another one. I used to see him come into the ballpark and they Thunderbirds with the porthole windows. Yeah. And uh, that left a major impression on me, made me want to be a ball player. Sure, yeah. Veda Pinson, uh, you can make a good case for Veda Pinson for the Hall of Fame, can't you, Dave? Yeah. Good, good ball player in his own right. And we're speaking with Dave Parker tonight. Now, when you were in high school, your favorite sport was football, right? Right. I wanted to be a football player. I was, uh, pretty good at it. I was a running back and a linebacker on defense and I was very physical. So, uh, football was just, uh, natural for me. I, uh, was planning on playing in college and I tore my knee up the first game of my senior year and, uh, that changed everything. So I went to my second sport in baseball. Well, you did pretty good at that, Dave, that's for sure. Now, in AAA, you played for the Charleston Charlies and they say that you hit a home run that landed in a cold car. You were always trying to hit hit the ball on the train. Well, it was on its way by. I figured I might as well do it. <laughs> and I hit a ball that landed right in the cold car, and it looked like a diamond sitting up in all that cold. <laughs> they um, they tracked uh, the train where it was headed, and it was headed to Columbus, Ohio. So I hit a home run from Charleston, West Virginia, to Columbus, Ohio. Wow, what a, what a great story that is for sure. Now, 77, you're the National League batting champ and a feat that you repeated in 78. And what, what I remember was that collision you had with John Stearns. You had to wear the, the uh, special face mask. Tell us about that collision with the Mets' John Stearns. Well, it was um, a play where the ball was hit the shadow right field and Joe Youngblood uh, was playing right field. He had a pretty good arm. Mm -hmm. And uh, the game was, it was late in the game and I said, I'm going to make this happen. So I broke for home plate after tagging up and uh, I saw Sternsy. He had a little smirk on his face. Oh man. And I said, smirk, I'll take this. And I <laughs> hit my face on the side of his head. And uh, broke my jaw. Oh man! Yeah, I always remember you with that special helmet on, with the with the uh, with the piece. Nowadays, they wear that all the time. Um, now, seventy-eight. They said you hit you you knocked the cover off a of baseball. Uh, the the fielder had it very difficult to throw. You knocked the cover off the ball. You remember that, Dave? Yeah, that was off of Bob Bob Forrest. Okay. He had a line drive right over his head, and the cover came off in between the pitcher's mound and second base. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like a flat tire. The ball stopped in between second base and center field, and I ended up getting a double out of it. Oh, man. What, another great story. Tremendous. Now, now you, you were a million-dollar man. Were you the first million-dollar man, Dave? Yes, I revolutionized salary. You did. I'm still waiting on these guys to send me 10%. <laughs> yeah, they should. Oh, man. Now, now the fans were mad uh, that you uh, got that kind of money. And what were they, throwing nuts and bolts at you? Yeah, they threw a bag of nuts and bolts, and 
that was a, a giveaway. We gave away some bats, and, and they threw bats on the field on one of the giveaways. But, you know, you pay a price for being the first. Yeah. And I, with me being the first and Pittsburgh being economical in trouble, so they just couldn't relate to anybody making that kind of money from just playing baseball. No, that's pretty. You'd expect that kind of thing in Philadelphia, but not in Pittsburgh. I'll tell you that. Yeah, Philly can be tough on you too. Okay. Yeah. Now we're speaking with the great Dave Parker tonight, uh, and he's got a new book out. Now, you and Stargell, your your man Willie Stargell, you used to warm up on the on deck circle with a sledgehammer. You were the first guys to do that. When most guys would use the leaded bat, but you guys looked tough out there with a sledgehammer. Well, it was all about intimidation. Yeah, we had an eight eight pound sledge, and we were swinging on the on deck circle, and uh, we got some funny looks from some of the pitchers that we played against, but uh, it was all about getting loose and intimidating people at the same time. Well, you, you certainly did it, Dave, that's for sure. Now, you became a free agent in 83, and you signed with your old hometown Cincinnati Reds, and uh, you had some great years over there. Yeah, I put together four good years in Cincinnati. As a, a kid, everybody wanted to play for the hometown team. Right. And um, when it came to be uh, a chance for me to play for Cincinnati, I jumped at the opportunity and put together four great years. Uh had one year in 85 that I, I feel like I should have been the MVP. Right. And I had led the league in RBI, hit 313. 34 homers. But, uh, yeah. I'll just remind the folks, Dave, 85, that was Dave's best season since he won the uh, the MVP in 78. He finished second in the MVP voting to the Cardinals' Willie McGee. Not a bad ball player, but Dave uh, had a tremendous year that year, and he, he may have deserved to be the MVP. Now, Cincinnati traded you in 87 to Oakland. And you uh, you became a DH. How did you feel about uh, becoming a designated hitter, Dave? I welcomed it, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I enjoy hitting more than running down balls in the outfield. So right. I enjoyed the opportunity to um, DH. And uh, I was like a hired gun at that time. Uh, people would... They would... Hire to, to come in and mm-hmm. bring them around to. Um, um, yeah, it was about winning and teaching them how to win. Right, you were you were a veteran on that Oakland ball club, and you really showed them the way. You were a significant factor in. Uh, they they were in the series uh, two consecutive years, weren't they, Dave? Yeah, Tony wanted me specifically to teach him how to win, and uh, it was the best team I ever played on because they had Ricky Henderson leading off, Tony Langford hitting second, Conseco hitting third, I hit fourth, McGuire hit fifth, Dave Henderson hit sixth, Steinbach hit seventh, Phillips hit eighth, and we had Walt White hit ninth. 
That was an all-star team. That was the best team I ever played on. What a, what a lineup that is for sure. Definitely, Dave. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. You, you never got more than 24% of the votes, but your, your eligibility was exhausted, I, I believe, in 2011, and you can now only be considered for the Veterans Committee. Obviously, I think you should have got more support than you did. Well, somebody needs to talk to... Uh, the committee, mm-hmm. because uh, I did everything that you could do as a player. I uh, won the two batting titles, two World Series, uh, was considered the best player in baseball from 75 to 80. So uh, there's something wrong with that scenario of being voted into the Hall of Fame because uh, evidently that ain't working. Many players who deserve, like yourself, Dave, uh, do not garner the consideration that, that uh, they deserve. And there's a lot of guys that they let in that, uh, unfortunately, they shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But uh, what what's done is done, and all we can hope for you, Dave, is that uh, the, a veterans committee down the line uh, get some sense put into their heads and get you in there. Well, this brotherhood thing is for real. Uh, uh-huh. We uh, played with some guys in Pittsburgh that, you know, genuinely cared about each other. And uh, I uh, feel that what I did as a player is stronger than any plaque that you can put on a wall. I mean, people that played against me regard me as one of the best players that they competed against. Uh, all the Hall of Famers that are in the Hall now consider me as a Hall of Famer. And rightfully so. That's for sure, Dave. Now, we, we know you, you've uh, been battling Parkinson's. Uh, you... you uh, let that go to the press in 2013, but you have a fine, fine foundation, Dave Parker 39 uh, Foundation, involved in raising money to find a cure for Parkinson's. Tell us a little bit about your foundation, Dave. Well, it's uh, Dave Parker 39 Foundation, mm-hmm. and uh, I got involved because I uh, went to an event the Parkinson Society had put together an event. And I went to it, and I listened to basically what they had to say, and I got involved. And I started doing golf tournaments. Uh, I did a golf tournament in October, raised $48,000. And I, I've been working with them for like five years now. Mm-hmm. And... uh who knows, we might get lucky and find a cure to this thing. But I wanted to get involved, and uh, that's one of my pet peeves. So I've been working with them for five years. You have, and uh, a great organization that is. And for, for the folks uh, who may not know, go to the Dave Parker 39 Foundation website. Uh, I certainly am. I'm going to get a signed copy of uh, Dave's book, Cobra, Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. You can get one of those on there. And uh, it's a great read. 
not only that, but you'll get a copy signed by the great Dave Parker. Now, the title of the book, Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. Tell us about the brotherhood, Dave. Well, the brotherhood is about relationships that you establish uh, as a major league player. And I established a relationship with we we were just an organization that had a lot of guys that cared about each other. We would go to dinner as a group of guys. We would have about fifteen guys all in a restaurant uh after games and uh we were just very close and those relationships last. Mike Easler, mm-hmm. I talked to him the hitman regularity. Bill Madlock. Eric Davis, I picked him up in Cincinnati. You know, it's just relationships. And we had some very, very strong relationships. You're talking about some fine ball players there, Dave, too. Dave Parker with us tonight on the program. Speaking of brotherhood, Dave, who would you say throughout your great career was your best teammate? My best teammate is Willie Stardom. Nice. Uh, Willie took me on the wing when I came to the major leagues and taught me how to be a, a true major leaguer, taught me to, to be a star, you're going to have to play hurt. And I, I followed that to the T because I played hurt a lot. But Willie, Willie was the guy that was probably closest to me. Uh, Doc Ellis was, was a great teammate. Bill Madlock ended up being my brother-in-law. He married, uh, his sister married my brother. So, you know, that, that was a relationship that was established. But we were just close, and we're still close. There's a guy you're talking about, Dave. We, we've had him on the show before. The Mad Dog, Bill Madlock, folks, four batting titles. How do, how do you like that? And and he's not in yeah, the Hall of Fame be, either. He should get some, There's another some guy. Hall of Fame. Exactly, Dave. Four yeah. batting titles make, make an individual want to vote you into the hall. Right. Another man, definitely. Who would you say your best skipper was? Chuck Tanner. Good man. Chuck Tanner yeah. was uh, a guy, one of the few guys that could handle that pirate team because we had characters. <laughs> you know, we had Doc Ellis, myself, <laughs> Stardew, uh, Chuck Tanner, was one of those managers <clears throat> that managed with one eye and one ear. When he didn't see everything, he didn't hear everything, and that's what we needed for a club like Pittsburgh. Yeah, a def- definitely a great manager uh, in in the annals of baseball history, Dave. And uh, what pitcher gave you fits throughout your career? Who who was who was real tough on you? Steve Carlton. Oh boy, was was tough on me. He punched me out three times and then threw a slider at me and he <laughs> break out over the plate and I end up getting him. But he struck me out more than any pitcher I ever faced and I hit more home runs off of him than any pitcher I ever faced. What, so we had a crazy stat. Yeah, what a uh, a great rivalry that that must have been for sure. Uh, of all your memories in the game today, Dave. What goes down as number one? Probably the throw in the All-Star game. Oh, yeah. In 79, I threw a Brian Downing out at the plate, and I threw out Jim Rice 
at third base prior to that. And uh, that throw from right field to home plate to Gary Carter was uh, one that sticks out in my mind. Gary made a good play. I threw the ball from short. Well, it was almost on the warning track. Mm-hmm. And uh, I threw it out all the way to home plate and got downing out to save the the game. I remember that. Yeah, what a memorable throw. Of course, folks, Dave Parker with one of the great arms out in right field in baseball history. And uh, what else you want to tell us about the book, Dave? What was your favorite part of writing that book? Well, just bringing up incidents that took place uh, with the Pride organization and the Oakland A's and Cincinnati organization. I watched a tape three times about a week and, uh, it bring back memories. Yeah. And all I got is my memory. You know, I can't play no more. So I just sit at home and reminisce on some of the things I did in the major leagues. And a, and a great career it was, Dave. Now, you can get this book, folks, on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, again, it's called Cobra, A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. If you go, though, to the Dave Parker Foundation website, you can, of course, buy the book there, but you can also get a signed copy, which is, uh, definitely worth it. Uh, a nice keepsake, a nice gift for people. Tremendous. Dave Parker, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us here in New York. Uh, all the best with the book, and uh, we wish you the best of health and happiness. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That's Dave Parker, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we will speak with author Devin Gordon about his new book about the New York Mets called So Many Ways to Lose, the amazing true story of the New York Mets, the best worst team in sports. Stay with us, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak, capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit Gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. 
All right, folks, we're back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB from beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. I tell you, I was out at City Field on Thursday for the DeGrom rainout. Uh, a, a real rough day. So happy that he got a W yesterday. Uh, a great game pitched by Marcus Stroman today. Uh, things are looking up as the Mets go into Wrigley Field for a series with the Cubs. But uh, you, you have to look at the the Mets fly out to Denver after getting rained out, and then they get snowed out. And that's only the Mets, folks, and that's a perfect lead-in for our next guest. Let's keep the sports memories rolling along. Our next guest is a contributing writer for a number of publications, including The Atlantic, The New York Times Magazine, and ESPN The Magazine. He served as an executive director at GQ, and he was a writer and editor at Newsweek. His new book is titled, So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, the Best Worst Team in Sports. Welcome in tonight, Devin Gordon. Devin, good evening. Good evening. It's a good day for the Mets, huh? Yes, yes, we had a good day. Uh, we, we, of course, they make you, you know, they give you a stroke uh, watching it, but uh, it was worthwhile in the end. <laughs> That that ending to the game that was positively confident. Yeah, I mean that was that was like that was some real baseball right there. That's, I mean, the, that's, I'm that's the way you'd like it to be, you know. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's not all the time. <laughs> no, certainly not for our team, is it? It's right now, break. now the idea for the book and the title, which some people, some fans may consider derogatory, uh, tell us how you came up with that. Well, the title is is a is sort of a paraphrase of a Casey Stengel line. You know, as you probably right. know, most most Mets books uh, that have sort of a, a, a self de- self defeating or self effacing title probably owes <laughs> its origins to Casey Stengel in some kind of way. Uh, Casey Stengel in '62 said something to the effect of, "I had no idea this this team is showing me ways to lose I didn't know existed." Right, and that just sort of stuck with me as sort of uh, a, a great way to think about the history of our franchise and. It sort of started with, you know, this notion of, what is, are we stuck with this? Is this in our DNA? Why are we like this? Because, you know, we all are so excited about 69 and 86, but those aren't really what we think of when we think of life as a Mets fan, are they? It's all the other stuff. So I wanted to try to see if I could go back and trace the roots. And the roots usually go back to Casey Stengel. Right. You're exactly correct, Evan. Now, uh, as cited in the book jacket, folks, you can get a synopsis right there. The Mets lost an all-star after he was attacked by a wild boar. You, they blew a six-run ninth-inning lead at the peak of a pennant race. And then they fired their manager before he skippered a game. This can only be the Mets. And talk a little bit about those incidents, Devin. Well, those, you know, and one of the reasons why I wanted to put those incidents on the jacket slap is because they happened all in one season. That was all 2019. <laughs> right. That was all 2019. Yeah. Yoenis is getting charged by a wild boar, right? Right. He blow a six-run lead in the ninth inning of the Washington Nationals, the most important game of the season. We had clawed all the way back into the pen rate, playoff race for that game, only to blow it with a six-run lead in the ninth inning. And then, of course, Carlos Beltran gets fired before he's even able to manage a game. And that is one season of New York Mets baseball. So it seemed like a fitting way to sort of summarize the fact that if that all could happen in 2019, you know, imagine what could happen when we're going all the way back 60 years. Right, exactly. It's a 
a risk to your health. We're speaking to author <laughs> Devin Gordon tonight. Now, a reversal of fortune. That's that's the deal. That's uh, the encapsulated incidents. That, that's the that's our thing. That's our thing. That's our thing. And and you know the the thing about reversals of fortune is that every now and then they reverse in the way you want them to, right? And in order to in order to be sort of truly gifted and special about these kinds of uh, these horrific collapses or creative defeats, you have to have had a taste of winning because that's sort of like that's what keeps you optimistic, right? It's what mm-hmm. keeps us stupid. It's what keeps us stupid, right? Every now and then we get a little bit of winning and we think, hey, maybe we've gotten rid of this curse. Maybe we're no longer the Mets. But, you know, the thing about the Mets is even after we pull off our sort of amazing dose of winning, the other part of it is the uh, what's coming next, right? right? If we win this year, which we are going to, by the way. Of course, every Mets fan knows we're winning the World Series this year. Exactly. But if we do, and when we do, what's coming for us in 2022 is going to be scary. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the way it is, folks. Now, what I remember uh, back, Devin, is uh, in the midst of a pennant run in 1969, nobody remembers this, but let's pause for a moment in the pennant run to get no hitted by the Buckos and Bob Moose, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. Very few teams in the course of a miraculous run to a World Series title get no hit. Right. But the Mets did. The Mets did. I mean, it was, you know, the Mets in 69, as you know, that was the season they had just an off offense, right, with all of those amazing arms that they had through that era. That was the one year when they cobbled together just enough offense to win a World Series. Mm-hmm. But on some nights, they definitely didn't have just enough offense, right? I mean, it's, it was a lot of one-run games, a lot of Tom Seaver shutouts, a lot of Jerry Kuzman's complete game shutout, you know, those sorts of things. Not a lot of runs for the Mets. Right. And then also in 69, we look at Steve Carlton striking out 19 Mets, only right. to be defeated by Ron Swoboda's two two-run homers. How about that one? <laughs> I mean, that's, I feel like there's something special about, like, maybe that's something about the era of, like, you know, that late 60s pitcher dominant era where you could have a World Series title team that got no hits and got struck out 19 times in one game. I mean, and, you know, of course, Tom Seaver almost threw a perfect game that season. Right, like that was an imperfect sure. game, and and you know, and and so it, it's kind of amazing to think that in in the, in basically one summer of 1969, the Mets got no hit. Tom Seaver threw what he considers to be the best game he's ever pitched, and Carlton struck out 19. That's a hell of a pitching era, right there. Right, so, some tremendous memories. Now, uh, they went uh, in '73 to yeah. Game Seven in the World Series. From last place in two months. There's another incident of Metsism right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, going from last to first in the span of two months is messy enough on its own, mm-hmm. right? Like ending, you could be, you could end the story right there, and that'd be pretty impressive that they went from last place into the playoffs. But then they beat the Big Red Machine, right? Um, yeah. And then they almost beat the Oakland Athletics, like the just dynastic, incredibly powerful Oakland Athletics. But the reason why they didn't, of course, is because Yogi Berra botched the pitching rotation. <laughs> Another instance, right? yeah. So, so you know, if the Mets were going to blow a miraculous run of the World Series, that's a pretty good way, right? They can't just lose in ordinary, boring fashion. They've got to have, you know, Yankee legend Yogi Berra managing the Mets mess up our rotation. 
Right. Why, why lose it on the field? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why lose it on the field when you can lose it in a far more messy way? Exactly. And then, and then we move on to, to the next year of success in 86. The, yeah. the Mets kill it all year, destroying every, everybody in their path. And then they almost blew, blew the playoffs to Houston and almost blew the World Series to the Red Sox. So this is like, you know, now I'm starting to come into the Mets narrative as a human being, right? This is the first Mets. This is my formative Mets team. I was 10 years old in 1986. So mm-hmm. the sort of 84, 85, 86 Mets, that was like my introduction to baseball. Okay. And 86, since I was 10 years old, that's really when you know what you're doing, right? You, you understand everything about the game. And that season, I had no idea because I was so young, but that season was such a clinic in almost everything it is to be a Mets fan because – there were these crazy, miraculous, thrilling victories. But what an insane team that was, right? They, they, it seemed like they were always punching people. Exactly. Right? Those 86 yeah. teams were always fighting. Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, the team was blowing apart even as they were winning. And that was something that I didn't realize until much later was sort of a very, like if we were going to have a dominant dynastic team, of course it would be like that team, right? Mm-hmm. That it would just implode before they could really do anything else again. Right. We're speaking to author Devin Gordon tonight about the New York Mets. And tell us, Devin, the, the difference between being a bad ball club and being gifted at losing. Ah, uh, well, so being bad, anybody can be bad. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that, that takes no skill, takes no ability. Most of us, frankly, it is the human condition to be bad most of the time, right? <laughs> at what we do, we just screwing up. There's nothing special about that. Your, you know, Seattle Mariners, the Detroit Lions, this is just boring. There's nothing charming about what they do. The Mets are gifted at losing, which means sometimes our flair for disaster comes in the bottom of the ninth inning of Game 7 in the 2006 NLCS with our best hitter at the plate and the time run on second base, Mm -hmm. right? When you think of bad, you don't associate that with losing in the National League Championship Series. But that's why the Mets are special, is because we're not bad. People think we're bad. We're not bad. We're gifted at losing. That right. is something much better, much more fun, much more interesting. You wish you could be as gifted at losing as we are. Your teams are just playing bad. <laughs> right, and that that is a good way to look at it. Now, Tom Seaver, the greatest player to ever put on the blue and orange, he's yeah. lost not only once, but twice. Only the Mets can do that. Yeah, yeah. He, um, the Mets, so, so the Mets basically ship him out in 77, right, um, in the dead of night, the Midnight Massacre, mm-hmm. um, over a salary dispute in the peak of his career. Then he comes back in 83, consents to a, you know, thrilling, heroic homecoming. Pitches great for a year as a 38-year-old leading a young Mets team that was about to blossom, right? This is the 83 team that eventually turned into the 86 team. Yes. And he was like the grandpapa. The Mets for some dumb reason, leave him unprotected in a free agent compensation draft, and the White Sox pluck him away in the dead of night. So now the Mets have basically bungled Tom Seaver twice. But, you know, there's the third one, right? Because Tom Seaver ended his career um, pitching two months down the stretch for the Boston Red Sox in 1986 as mm-hmm. sort of a replacement starting pitcher, right? Right. So the final kick in the teeth for Tom Seaver was that when the Mets clinched the World Series title in 1986 at Chase Stadium, Tom Seaver was sitting on the Red Sox dugout. He's on the wrong side. Yeah. Uh, only the Mets. Amazing, right? I mean, that's our greatest player ever. Jacob deGrom, pay close attention. Something will happen. Yeah, you're exactly right, Devin. And only the Mets could have 
what everybody knows, July 1st, every year, uh, Bobby Bonilla, Bonilla Day. Day, right? Uh, we, I, I mean, wh- what does it say about a team that we have our own ironic holiday, right? I mean, yeah. Teams don't do, normal teams don't do this. And, you know, like as I write in the book, there's a whole chapter about Bobby Bonilla Day in my book. And one of my favorite things about Bobby Bonilla Day is that it has basically become a totem for Mets humiliation, right? This is the, it's kind of a symbol now of, 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 of Mets silliness, of Mets just absurdity. But my favorite thing about it is that the Bobby Bonilla deal at the time was a huge success. It's almost, Im- it's almost unimaginable that the, that the sort of deal that they struck to get rid of him right up front and then pay him years later. I, it's almost impossible that it could have gotten better. It got them, it got them Mike Hampton, yeah. getting us into the World Series. Mike Hampton leaves, becomes a, uh, a compensation pick that turns into David Wright. Yeah. It's hard to do better than that. I'll, uh, Bobby Benia, thank you for your service, honestly. But yeah. what's hilarious about it, of course, is that it's remembered as a catastrophic humiliation. Exactly. Only the Mets. And then another thing, only the Mets, uh, Devin, is even their only no-hitter is tainted. Yeah, you know, I didn't really do too much with the no-hitter in the book. And I think some folks, like some Mets fans, the, you know, that's one thing that some people have pointed out was that I didn't do anything about the no-hitter. Uh-huh. It was, you know, it, it, this was Johan Santana's no-hitter, right? And it basically ended his career because he had to throw like a billion pitches to do it. Yeah. And then there was the fact that it probably shouldn't have been a no-hitter, right? Uh, that there should have been an error. It should have been a, it shouldn't have been an error. It should have been a hit. Um, and then there's the fact that Johan Santana's you know, had some significant, um, you know, sexual assault accusations against him. So it, it makes it very difficult for me to sort of, it wasn't a fun subject to write about as a Mets fan. It was really hard to figure out a way to feel about that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly didn't want to make light of it. Um, but yeah, like even our no hitter, even our no hitter. We've only got that one, and none of us feel particularly good about it. No, you can't. That's the thing, Devin. Yeah. Now, you dedicate your book to, among other people, Andy Chavez, which we could see in in another Metsian moment. Who is your favorite Met of all time, Devin? Well, Daryl Strawberry is the reason I became a Mets fan. Okay. Right? I, was eight, I was eight years old. Um, I did not inherit a team, a baseball team, so I was free to choose. I was from upstate New York, so I could choose the Yankees or the Mets. But when you're eight years old, you make simple choices for very simple reasons, right? And the Mets had a player named Strawberry. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. You're eight. They had a name. They had a player named Strawberry. I'm rooting for the Mets. It's big fun. You know what am I going to do? Root for George Steinbrenner? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. The right thing to do is find a team with so many ways to lose. Well, Devin exactly. Gordon, it's been a real pleasure having you with us tonight. We had a lot of fun. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us here down on Long Island. The book, folks, again, so many ways to lose. The amazing story of the New York Mets, the best, worst team in sports. Thanks again, Devin. Thanks for having me in Mets country. I love talking to you. Great. That's Devin Gordon, folks. We'll be right back with you talking about New York Riptide. Stay with us, folks. You are listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. 
Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your GusBuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, folks, we're back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB from downtown Merrick, Long Island. Our next guest, he's the executive vice president of the New York Riptide, and he's got some real exciting news to tell us about. You may have seen it on News 12. You may have heard it on The Fan. Let's welcome in Rich List to Sports Talk New York to tell us more about it. Rich, good evening. Hey, how are you? Ah, it's great to have you with us, Rich. Now, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. No worries. Now, tell us a bit about the Riptide, first of all, for those who may not be familiar. Sure. We, uh, we're part of the National Lacrosse League. We're, the National Lacrosse League is entering into its 36th season this year. We had a little interruption with the pandemic and everything last year where we didn't get a chance to finish our season out. So this will be our second season on Long Island playing at Nassau Coliseum. And opening weekend will be December 3rd and 4th. We start training camp in November. We'll start here probably the first week of November right here on the island and then uh, be ready to kick off December 3rd and 4th. Nice. Nice. That's great. Now, uh, people may not realize that our friend, uh, a friend of the show, is the PA announcer for the Riptide, Colin Cosell. <laughs> He's a very good friend of both, right? He's yeah. He's great. And, and I tell you, this is my uh, this was my first year with the team. I started with them in January after their season started. I came from another team, and I didn't know Colin before I got here. And I started to work with him and watch what he does with the crowd and everything. And and I I was so impressed. And and um, I I love having Colin on our staff that uh, I said to him at the end of the year, we were talking about this upcoming season, and I want him to get more involved. And I said, Colin, I want you to treat the games like you're Johnny Carson and it's the Tonight Show. And <laughs> our game is going on, but you're the host of this whole thing. So you'll see Colin getting a lot more involved in some of the things we do. He's a special talent, and and I'm proud to have him part of our organization. Yeah, he's going to love it. I'll tell you, he, he was on the show a while back, and he, for those folks who may not remember, Colin... Uh, did uh, some introductions for folks during the pandemic just to make people feel better, uh, to give them a, a little life in, in a bad time. And he did uh, walk-up music and introductions for people just as if they were uh, taking the batter's box at City Field. And uh, he did that, one for that's me. That's what tells you about Colin. Yeah. Right? That tells you the kind of person he is. Just amazing. Just a, a great guy. Now, tell us, Rich, the partnership that we're talking about Tell us more about that. Uh, as I said, the folks may have heard about it on News 12 or heard Boomer talking about it on WFAN. 
Give us more insight. Sure, sure. It all started about last year. We had a game called the Hometown Heroes Game, and we honored Brian Ship, the uh, owner of West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, for a lot of stuff that he does in the community. And Brian played lacrosse and everything. And and we started talking. So um, in the off season during the pandemic, we were talking a little bit and, and going back and forth about things we can do. And he was interested in uh, in what we do. We were interested in what he did. And we came to a collaboration to let's bake a Riptide Double IPA wow. with the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company. So me being uh, uh, really loving that business also, the craft beer business and the brewery business, I was excited. He's a lacrosse guy. He's excited. So we became good friends and started putting this thing together. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole time we're talking, Sammy Steinlight, our PR, our PR person, is listening to WFAN, and we've had a relationship with Boomer a little bit, and it's a funny relationship because we sent lacrosse sticks to Boomer and Geo last year, and Boomer picked up a lacrosse stick and threw a ball across the, across the room and broke a screen, and it kind of started our relationship with him, and then he was talking more about our team, and we sent them jerseys and hats and shirts and stuff, and then one day, um, his producer, Al Dukes, is talking about that Al lives in Bradley Beach, New Jersey, and they, they did a beer called Al's Boring Beer with proceeds going to <laughs> Boomer's Foundation. And Boomer's Geo, both being Long Island guys, were like, hey, we got to do something on Long Island. So we contacted them and said, we have a collaboration with the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company. We'd love to work with you guys. Got on the phone with uh, Boomer's um, Foundation, and, and I tell you, that deal was put together in two minutes. Wow. It was two minutes. The collaboration was just like, yes, yes, and yes. And it was so easy. I've done a lot of promotions in my life, but this one was so easy and so fulfilling to get done. And it just clicked into where we're doing a year-long promotion with Boomer and with the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, where the first phase of it, I call it phase one, is our beer. And we launched it on April the 7th. On April the 22nd, I believe it is, 23rd, we're doing a virtual tasting to introduce it to the to the public. To right. Available at the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, and soon it will be available um, in stores. Then um, we're going to sell that beer, and proceeds of that beer are going to the Boomer Sison Foundation. Then we get our schedule in September. We're going to pick a night for cystic, a cystic fibrosis night, and we're going to put, again, do partial proceeds of our ticket sales going to the Boomer Sison Foundation. We're going to do some promotions. We're going to have our guys out at this, uh, different stores with the beer and doing tastings and things. Everything we do this year, based on that, we're going to have a game where we have our uh, cystic fibrosis game, and we're going to honor the Boomer Esiason Foundation, and we're going to present them with a check at that game at the end of this year. And uh, it all started from a little conversation at our game about him, uh, Brian loving lacrosse and being a lacrosse person, me loving beer and talking to him about that, <laughs> and then getting Boomer's Foundation um, mixed in with it. And I, and Boomer put it the best way the other day. They had it on the air that, you know, we got the, the, the only professional lacrosse team on Long Island, the New York Riptide. We have the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, and we have the Boomer Esiason Foundation. All Long Island. Right. All Long Island. Uh, all coming together for a really good cause. And I said before, I've done a lot of promotions in my career, but this one is one of the most satisfying ones I've done. And uh, it uh, everybody wins. That's the beautiful thing about it, Rich. Now, uh, would you know exactly when this is going to hit the stores? 
We don't know exactly when it's going to hit the stores. Okay. It came out a little earlier than we thought, so we're working with the distributors now through West Hampton Beach Brewing Company to get a date. So everyone stay tuned for that. We will get it out there and let everyone know when it's going to hit the stores. But you can go to West Hampton Beach Brewing Company in person at the tasting room and buy it, or you can go online and buy it because you can ship within New York. So we right. can do it that way, too. Oh, great. That, that's great news. Now, do you want to give the folks a little hint as to what's in this beer, what it tastes like, a little a little, uh, little verbal sample, so to speak? Sure. I, 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 I'm proud to say I've sampled a lot of it, which is, which is good. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a double IPA, so people who like IPAs will really, really enjoy this beer. Me, personally... Um, you know, I'm more of a lager, American lager, right? Reds, and yeah, I hear you. Beer. So when I tasted it, I really enjoyed it because at the end, sometimes the IPAs have that little bitter taste at the end, and this doesn't. It has a little bit more of a fruitier taste, and it's full body. It's got a it's got a hefty kick to it. I think it's at eight point eight percent alcohol. So I, sure. I don't recommend. Yeah. Uh, I don't recommend anyone, uh, you know, doing any driving or operating heavy machinery afterwards because it's, uh, it's got a little bit of kick at the end, but it's really smooth, very filtered through, and it's got a hint of some, uh, it's got a hint of some fruit in there too, which is nice. So very refreshing for a, for a summer beverage. Nice. And, uh, as Richard said, it's 8.8%. So th- <laughs> this is not beer that, uh, you're going to sit down like, uh, Coors Light and slug down no. 20 of them. This is a beer to be savored and uh, enjoyed and uh, taken with a meal. Probably it, w- it would be tremendous. And uh, the- exactly, this is this is one of those beers where you got some time, you got some good friends, you got some good food, you got some good atmosphere. You open it up, you enjoy it, you sip it, you have a good time with it. Right. For people who may be un- unaffiliated, uh, IPA stands for India Pale Ale. Now, m- my first uh, exposure to that, so to speak, was with uh, Bass Ale when I was a student in London, uh, Bass IPA, and uh, th- that's what that uh, signifies. Now, the color of the can, it- it's its really, the, the marketing is wonderful, Rich. The, the can's color scheme, it's the... Uh, the Riptide colors are navy blue, orange, and seafoam green. It uh, it really captures the spirit and the essence of uh, the Riptide. I, I couldn't agree more. I think Brian and his group did a great job. And a lot of times you do these promotions, and 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 I, and I don't want this to come off in a bad way, but you do these promotions, and, and you know West Hampton Beach Brewing Company has a, has something they want to get across, and we have something we want to get across, and we want both of it to get across so it works well for the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Mm-hmm. But again, this collaboration has been, I, I can't stress it enough how smooth and easy this collaboration with these guys have been. Nice. And I think it's because we're all aligned in the same, in the same philosophies and we're all like the same, uh, the same person when we talk about these things. And we keep in, and I always do my stuff, I say, you know, what's the end result? We want to do what's right and we want to do the best we can for the Boomer Esiason Foundation, and then we worked backwards. And when Brian uh, showed me what he was working on, I didn't even have to go back to him and say something like, well, Brian, can you fit this in? Can you do this? Can you do this? He captured everything, and it, it really ties in. Like, again, we're the New York Riptide, and we play off of the the beachy theme and the and mm-hmm. the, the shores, and we have a lighthouse in one of our uh, logos. And he's uh, every day is a beach day with the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, so it just melded perfectly together. And I think the cans are 
amazing, really. If anyone hasn't seen the cans, you know, please go on West Hampton Beach Brewing Company dot com and and look at the cans because he's done a great job and and it's really eye catching. Nice, nice job. We're we're speaking to Rich List tonight. He's the EVP of the New York Riptide, and we mentioned earlier there'll be uh, there's a virtual tasting coming up. And uh, make sure that you mark this down on your calendars, folks. A virtual tasting. It's going to be on April 22nd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it's going to feature, as we said, the great Riptide PA announcer, Colin Cosell, uh, one of the guys from the Riptide, and uh, West Hampton Beach Brewing Company co-founder Brian Skip. So mark that down again, April 22nd at 6 p.m. You can register at bit.ly slash riptide tasting and uh, anything more you want to say about that rich it'll be a great night it's yeah so hard nowadays right because we can't uh, get face to face yeah people. and i'm a face-to-face person and i like to talk to the fans and 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 really give them like a, a pull the curtain back a little bit and let everyone see what happens and and, and my philosophy is is to uh you know, we're Long Island's team and we want, we want our fans to take ownership in this team. So it's hard now because of the pandemic and getting out and seeing everybody and getting vaccines and stuff. So we thought this virtual tasting would be something that would be, that would be really, really cool. And a lot of people have been calling us and saying, you know, where can I get my beer for the tasting? We've been, we've been showing them what they can do. And then we're going to get on there. We're going to have a couple of players. I know right now we have one, but I think there's a few surprises we're going to pull out too with the players and, nice. and get them on there. And uh, Brian's going to walk us through the process. And it's a really, really interesting process. And I encourage anybody listening that if you haven't been to the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, you should go out there and meet with Brian and his partner. And they'll give you a tour of how they do it. And it's really, really cool how they how they come up with uh, making these new beers and tastings and things. So he's going to walk us through exactly what went into this and the artwork and then how he made the beer. And I'm going to be on there asking, answering any questions about the team and our collaboration. We're going to have someone on from Boomers Foundation to talk about that too. So it's really going to be I, – I wish – we could have all done this at the West Hampton Beach Brewing Company and right. sat around and right. had a few beers and talked across and talked to the Boomer Esiason Foundation and talked to West Hampton Beach Brewing Company, but we can't because of what's going on. So it'll be like that on Zoom, just a bunch of a bunch of friends, a bunch of people talking and having a good time. Well, what a great event! Now, anything else on the docket coming up for the Riptide, Rich? You know, we're getting ready for the season. we got a few mm-hmm. things coming up here. There's going to be a new team coming into our league, uh, Panther City Lacrosse Club. They're coming into this year, so there's going to be an expansion draft coming up, which our fans are going to be um, going to be tuning in for. And then in September, we'll do our collegiate draft, and then we start training camp in November, and then we're ready to go in December. And then we're, doing, uh, we're launching a junior riptide program, so kids be on the lookout for that. We're going to launch a couple of teams to have junior Riptide teams. And, and one of the things I really like about the junior Riptide teams that we're doing is we're tying in with a group called FLG out of Huntington. They're, they're a group called For the Love of the Game, and they're helping us with this. And um, I want to create three teams that actually travel with us because a, a lot of the teams we play, Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, Philadelphia, they're, they're kind of in our division and in the North division, and they all have junior teams. So one of the things I want to do is, is when we travel to play Buffalo, I want to take my junior team with me and have them travel with us, nice. stay in the same hotel as us, go to shoot around and watch the big guys shoot around, then we put them through a shoot around, and then before our game, they'll play the Buffalo Bandits junior team. 
and then stay and watch our game and then travel back with us. So that's a really cool program that we're putting together this summer that uh, everyone should stay tuned for because I think that's going to be that's going to be really a fun thing. And then we're launching a collegiate box league also. Um, and we're going to put uh, kids that are um, just graduating school or rising seniors and going into freshman year and coming home from freshman year can play the collegiate box league where our players and coaches are going to be there coaching them. And my ultimate goal is to find the next Riptide player that played on the junior Riptide and then played in our collegiate box league and then tries out and plays for our team. That's going to be my uh, my crowning jewel if I could have that happen. So we're starting to put a lot of that in place now, and the summer is going to be real exciting. Wonderful. Uh, an up-and-coming sport on Long Island, and people should check out the Riptide. And Rich List, thanks for being with us tonight, taking time out of your Sunday night to tell us about this great partnership. Uh, welcome back anytime, Rich. Oh, it's my pleasure. And please, I, uh, you know, I want you to come out to a game, and, and we're going to hopefully have the Riptide uh, double IPA at our game. So we'll have one while we watch lacrosse. Sounds so I good. I look forward to when the season starts. You take care, Rich. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Dave Parker, Devin Gordon, and Rich Lisk, my engineer, Brian Graves, and you folks for joining us. Rob Kramer, coming up next, please stay put. See you next week with Hall of Famer Brad Park and Roger Earl from Foghat. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.